Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus in Belmont, Massachusetts. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian, I'm the pastor of the church in Belmont, and it's great to talk to you today. One of the big questions many of us have when it comes to God is how do we think about God and how do we speak about God in the middle of difficult situations? In this sermon, we tell the story of a prophet named Habakkuk who faced that exact same question and learned to talk about God correctly, even in the middle of difficult times. I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. As we get going here, I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you noticed a problem or an injustice or something that was unfair, and you brought it to someone else's attention, and were immediately frustrated by the fact that they didn't seem like it was nearly as big of a deal as you felt like it was. Have you ever had that happen where you feel something is just wrong? You've been wronged, uh, something unfair is happening, something unjust is happening, and so you take it to the people you think should care about it. And the response you get back is, is less than, than stellar. Maybe there's something going on at work and you say to yourself, you just can't handle it anymore. And you say, the, my boss needs to know about this. So you schedule the meeting and you sit down with your boss and you say, listen, there is this inequity taking place in our workplace. And the, your boss listens to you and then he or she just kind of shrugs it off. And so you're frustrated because to you it's such a big deal. Or maybe you're on a playing field and the ref or the umpire Uh, makes a call that you feel like is unjust or you feel like is unfair, but when you complain about it, you're just complaining to ears that don't want to hear what you have to say. Have you ever been in that kind of position? You bring something to your spouse, you bring it to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your teacher, and you think it's a big deal, but they just don't respond with the same enthusiasm with which you brought the problem. We've all been there, right? In fact, I remember uh, in 2010, in in November of 2010, just a few months after uh, Haiti experienced that terrible earthquake in 2010, a team of us from Mount Hope, uh, we went down to Port-au-Prince, and we were working with one church to help them begin to rebuild. Well, I'll tell you, I was very unprepared uh, for what Port-au-Prince Haiti would look like when our plane landed. You saw the pictures on the news. You knew that it was a bad situation. Uh, But when we landed, it was certainly uh, worse than I had expected it to be. In fact, we got off the airplane, and one of the first things I noticed is that the customs area that would normally receive uh, people into the country, that that building had a giant crack vertically from top to bottom, two stories just completely separated. And so rather than going into a building, there was a makeshift warehouse out on the tarmac that we walked into. And one thing that we knew going into Haiti, uh, just so close to what had happened there, is that if we wanted something, we needed to bring it with us. If we needed a tool, it had to come in our bag. If we needed a a certain toiletry, it had to come with us. If we wanted certain clothing, we better bring it with us because there was really no place at the time to buy any of those things. So we get off the airplane and we walk into the makeshift customs house, big uh, tent-like structure that has folding tables where all the customs agents are sitting. And there was a baggage claim 
circular belt. You know what they look like. The only difference with this was uh, baggage claim belts usually have some sort of mystery to them. You don't know what's going on on the other side of the wall. It's just bags are magically appearing through the flaps. Well, this one was just a big circle in the middle of the room, and so there was no mystery here. You saw the guys pull up with the cart, and they were throwing the bags on one side of the belt, and we were taking them off the other. And I picked up my bag, and I picked up my wife's bag. And I started to walk out of the the little makeshift warehouse terminal there, and a guy stopped me, and he said, can I check your claim tickets? And I said, sure. So we matched up mine to my bag, and then we looked at Lori's bag, and he said, that's not your bag. And I said, this has to be my bag. It is the exact same red bag that I bought at Costco last week. This is our bag. And he said, no, look at the tickets. It's not. I'm going to tell you this is our bag. And so he took the bag and he set it up on one of the folding tables and he unzipped it and flipped it open and it was full of men's clothing. And it was not our bag. So now panic starts to set in because Lori's bag is gone. And everything that we need for the entire week, we had to bring with us. So here we are an hour into our trip to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, in, in very difficult circumstances, and my wife has, has nothing now. No clothes, no toiletries, uh, the tools that she was responsible for bringing, the supplies she was responsible for bringing for the trip, all gone. And I got to tell you, I was a little nervous in this situation. I was a little, I was a little uh, agitated in this whole thing. And so uh, I said to the guy, well, what are we going to do? And he said, it'll work out. And then I went to the missionary who was in charge of our trip, and I'm like, what are we going to do? And this missionary who had lived in Haiti and the you know, ups and downs of all this day stuff, I mean, a lost bag was nothing to him. And he said, ah, don't worry, it'll work out. And I started to get frustrated because no one else was recognizing how big of a deal this was. My wife is in tears, I'm nearly in tears, and I'm all frustrated because we're, I'm, we're never going to see this bag again. And so I went to uh, the, the airline's uh, baggage claim table. It was, of course, a folding table with two women sitting behind it that had little name tags with our airline's logo on them. And on the table was a telephone. That was it. I'm very used to computers, things like that. And I said to them, we've lost our bag. My wife has lost her bag. And they said, okay. And I said, can we track it? They said, no. I said, is there any way to scan the barcode and track it? They said, no. I said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we'll figure it out. I said, can we call someone on the phone? And they just looked at the phone. They said, that phone doesn't work. (laughs) And I got to tell you, I didn't feel too good. It was one of those moments, and you've been there, one of those moments where I felt like we had a huge problem here. And I remember driving to our, to our uh, work site for the week where we were staying, and I said to the missionaries we were driving, I said, is there any way we can just stop and get like a toothbrush and deodorant, something like that? And he looked back at me and he said, no. And it was one of those situations where I just thought to myself, why is no one else taking this seriously? Why does no one else see that this is a huge problem? And you've been there before. You've seen injustice in the world. You've experienced unfairness in your life. You've had something happen to you, and you've brought it to other people's attention. And the, the, what you get back is not nearly what you brought to the situation. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It can happen in church world, too. Church world, when all the Christian cliches come out, when you're really dealing with something, I mean, serious life issues. And you bring those life issues to people. And you say to to them, you know, I'm really struggling here. I really don't know what to do. 
And the response you get back is something frustrating like, well, you just got to let go and let God. Or something like, how many of you know you can't have a testimony without a test? Something along those lines. And it can be frustrating when we're trying to reconcile injustice in the world and the reality of God. When people give us very simplistic answers, when we're really walking through something, when we're struggling through something, and we come to people and we say, how can it be true that God is real and love, but this is also true about my life? How can those two be the same thing? And people give us very simplistic answers. You just have to have faith. You just trust God. When God closes a door, he opens a window. And that can be frustrating. In fact, I think sometimes we look at that and we say, those are immature people that would have that kind of attitude. Only an immature person who's not being honest about the realities in this world and the realities of what is supposedly a good God and injustice in this world would have that sort of simplistic answer. And it's frustrating to us. Listen, if you've ever been frustrated because you've brought something that was an injustice or unfair to someone's intention and they didn't take it seriously, if you've ever been frustrated because you've been trying to reconcile the reality of a good God with the injustice that you see in this world, Habakkuk is the book for you. Last week, we talked through the book of Joel. And in Joel, we answered this question, how do you respond to disaster? How do you respond to tragedy in your life? Today, we answer the question, how do you respond to evil? How do you respond to things that are unjust? How do you respond to things that are unfair? Here's the story of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet to God's people, the Israelites. And he's super frustrated with the Israelites because they are God's people, but they are not living like God's people. And you know who doesn't seem to care that God's people are, are participating in things that are unjust? You know who doesn't seem to care that God's people have turned away from him? You know who doesn't seem to care that God's people are taking advantage of one another? Who do you think doesn't seem to care? God himself. And so Habakkuk's very frustrated. He's extremely frustrated because these are God's people that he's a part of. And he's looking around and he's seeing them take advantage of each other. He's looking around and he's seeing them acting unfairly towards one another. He's looking around at the world and seeing injustice. And the person that he thinks should care the most, which is God himself, doesn't seem to care at all. And so in the first chapter of his book, Habakkuk comes to God and it's simply titled Habakkuk's Complaint. And this is Habakkuk's complaint to God. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Maybe you felt like you've been in that place with God before. Have you ever been there before? Where you come before God and you say, God, how is it possible that the world is as messed up as it is and you do nothing about it? That's what Habakkuk's saying. God, how can it be that the world is so difficult? How can it be that there's so much inequity? How can it be that there are so much, there's so much evil happening in this world and the person that should fix it all is the God who is good that sits up in heaven and yet it seems like you're not doing anything. That's where Habakkuk is. My guess is you've been there before. Two. Well, Habakkuk brings this complaint to God, and he doesn't have to wait long for a response. This is what God says back to him. God responds, and he says, 
Look at the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am going to do a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. See, now Habakkuk's excited. Because God gives him this response and says, Habakkuk, here's the deal. I hear what you're saying. The world's a mess. So I'm going to do something that is so great that even if I told you about it beforehand, you wouldn't even believe it. Habakkuk's all excited, and then this is what God says. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, we could also call them the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And God goes on, and he says, okay, Habakkuk, you're right. My people, the Israelites, they're out of line. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring in the Babylonians, and we're going to let them take my people captive. In fact, we're going to bring in the Babylonians, and for a few hundred years is what happens. We're going to allow the Babylonians to enslave my people and hold them captive. It wasn't really what Habakkuk was going for. Have you ever felt like that before? You ever felt like you asked God to do something and things got worse before they got better? You ever felt you act like God to fix something, that you brought something to God's attention and God came up with some sort of solution that just seemed to make things worse? The next section of this book is appropriately titled Habakkuk's Second Complaint. (laughs) Habakkuk goes back to God and says, God, I don't think we're on the same page here. I want your people to be better, but I don't want to be enslaved by the Babylonians. And this is what he says. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why would you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And in fact, Habakkuk is so frustrated at this point with God that a couple verses later in the first verse of chapter 2, he basically says to God, listen, this is my complaint. How can you possibly allow the people as evil as the Babylonians to win And your own people to lose. And he's so frustrated. In the first verse of chapter 2, he says, this is my complaint. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here and wait for your answer. This is how he says it. I will take stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, that's God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk's so fired up, he demands an answer from God. He says, God, I'm going to sit here until you do something about this. And God answers him again. And in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says this. He says, the vision, that's his plan, that's his plan to restore his people, awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. That's the Babylonians. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. God comes to Habakkuk and says two things here. You know what's happened here. Habakkuk sees injustice among God's people. He complains about it. God says, you're right. Let's bring in people more evil than my people to rule over them. That'll fix them. And Habakkuk goes back and says, that's a terrible plan. Why would, we, why would we let evil win even on a greater scale? And God comes back to Habakkuk here and tells him two things. 
And this is something you and I can't miss. It tells him two things. He says, Habakkuk, if you want to see the full unveiling of the plan, first you have to wait for it. Don't grow impatient. First, you need to wait for it. And secondly, you need to live by faith. And something happens to Habakkuk in this moment. Something changes inside his heart. Because when chapter 3 begins, he no longer complains. In fact, in chapter 3, he begins to praise God. Something changes in his heart when God says this to him, that he's to wait for the full plan to take place and he's to live by faith because once we get to the last chapter of this book, Habakkuk is no longer complaining, he's praising. In fact, Habakkuk has turned into one of those people that even when things are falling apart and even when there's great injustice and when even there's, there's great unfairness, he's able to say, you know what we're gonna do? We're just gonna trust God through it. All of a sudden, Habakkuk has changed from the person that's like us, that's willing to complain, that's willing to point out, that is frustrated by things to one of those people who just says, let's just trust God in this. In fact, I think the most powerful verses in this book come right at the end, and it's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, and listen to what Habakkuk says now. Listen to how his heart has changed in a short amount of time. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive crop fails and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So what happens here to Habakkuk? How does he go in such a short amount of time from someone who's complaining to God about injustice, from someone who's complaining to God about great evil, to then someone who's saying, you know what? Life isn't perfect, but God is good. How did he go through that shift? See, something happens in chapter 2. God comes to Habakkuk and says, Habakkuk, you think the Babylonians taking my people into exile is the full plan? It's not even close to the full plan. That's just a little piece of it. And Habakkuk, if you'll just hang on and if you'll just pay attention and if you just wait for a minute and have a little faith, you're going to see that eventually those evil people are going to fall on a great scale and my people, the Israelites, are going to be restored. If you'll just wait a little bit and have faith, Habakkuk, it will all take place. And just in a moment, Habakkuk remembers the truth. The truth that you and I often forget when circumstances are difficult. And that is our circumstances, no matter what they are and no matter how difficult, never change who God is. Our circumstances, no matter how unfair and no matter how unjust, no matter how, how difficult they are to walk through, whatever we're going through, whatever our world is going through, none of that ever changes who the person of God is. You see, God was the God who established his people, the Israelites, generations, thousands of years before Habakkuk lived. 
And the promise that God was going to take care of his people doesn't go away because his people turned away from him and because the Babylonians came and ruled for a while. None of that fades away. And so Habakkuk is able to come back from this and he's able to say, okay, life isn't perfect today. There's no fruit on the vines. There's no food in the field. There's no sheep in the pen. There's no cattle in the stalls. And basically Habakkuk starts naming all the things that he would normally put his trust in. All those things that he's naming, that's provision, that's wealth. He might say today, all right, my retirement account is tanking and I'm not sure what I'm going to do for work. My relationships are unstable right now. My family is going through a difficult time. The diagnosis from the doctor doesn't look good, but I will still rejoice in God my Savior because what Habakkuk realized is that none of those circumstances for a moment change who God is is. And so God comes to Habakkuk in this moment and reminds him of a powerful truth that we often forget. And that is the righteous shall live by faith. See, you and I have promises. If you're someone that follows God with your life, then he has promised us certain things. He has promised how this world is going to end. He's promised what the next world has in store for us. He's promised us certain things that are ours through Christ Jesus. And no matter what happens in this world, those promises never go away. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Jesus knew this. If you look at Jesus' ministry, you see this happen throughout his ministry. On the night that he was arrested... I'm sure his followers didn't know what was going on. I'm sure these followers of Jesus, they felt like he was supposed to be crowned king eventually, that he was going to take over everything. But here he was on this this night, uh, the day after they had celebrated the Passover meal together, being arrested. And it was completely unfair and it was completely unjust because he hadn't done anything to anybody worthy of arrest and crucifixion. And one of his followers was so bothered in the moment that all Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them record this moment. One of his followers was so bothered by the injustice that was happening. He was standing there in the garden. The soldiers came to arrest Jesus. He watched Jesus be taken away in handcuffs, and he's looking around, and no one is doing anything about this great injustice. So all three of those riders record this moment where this follower of Jesus pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers arresting Jesus. And I'm sure chaos ensued, pushing, shoving, shouting. And through it all, Jesus says to him, listen, put away your sword. And Luke writes that Jesus picked up the man's ear and he healed it, the man who was arresting him. And Matthew says he turned back to that follower who picked up the sword. And I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit and said, don't you think that if I, didn't, if I wanted this to stop, I could make it stop in a moment? That I could ask my father to send down angels and he would cut this whole thing off? But we have to walk through this for my father's plan to take shape. You see, in that moment, it looked like evil was winning. And for Habakkuk, it looked like evil was winning, but you know what hadn't changed? The plans and the purposes and the promises of God. 
My guess is everyone in the room this morning has a place in your life where life feels unfair and things are unjust. You might be sitting here this morning and you know what? You've been walking through your life and you've been trying to do the right thing and life has just been difficult. You feel like you've never been able to get ahead. You are sitting here this morning and you just look at your life and you feel like you would have been further by now. That maybe you would have been uh, making more money by now or maybe you would have had things put together better by now or maybe your relationships would be more stable right now. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel like this world is just against you in some way or maybe you feel like you've had it good but you look at the inequities and the injustice that's in this world and you just can't handle it sometimes. You don't know why some people win and some people seem to lose, why some people have it so easy and other people really have to struggle. All of us have those places in our lives and as we're here together today, I just want to remind us of a few promises that we have. No matter where you are in your life this morning, these promises are sure for you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, when you're scared, be reminded what Isaiah said. He said, fear not, God says in Isaiah, for I have redeemed you. When you're in the difficult, dark, and lonely places, remember David's words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. When you are weak, remember that God gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases his strength. When you feel unloved and unlovable, remember the Lord is good and his love endures forever. When you feel like this world is unfair, remember that Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When you feel alone, remember the Lord is your God is with you wherever you go. When you are stressed out, remember Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you are sad, remember God healed the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. When you are faced with a need, remember God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. When you are unsure of what to do, recall that God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask me who gives generously to all. When you feel guilty, remember what John says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you worry about death, Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. Those truths never change. As we close this morning, we're going to watch a little three-minute clip of a movie that's, that's going to be coming out in the spring. And it's put out by an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And if you don't know about Voice of the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs is, is the voice of the persecuted church around the world. And it was started by a man named Richard Wormbrand. And this is his story. In Romania in 1948, Richard and his wife were living in communist Romania and they were arrested and beaten and tortured for 14 years because they would not stop preaching the gospel. We forget this happens around the world. We feel like we're under a lot of pressure maybe in our culture if we're people that follow Jesus. It's nothing compared to what other people are facing around the world. Today, right now, people are risking their lives to gather and worship together. 
And Voice of the Martyrs reminds us of those things. But this is Richard's story. 1948 in Romania, arrested for 14 years, beaten and tortured. And I want, to watch, I want us to watch together what his attitude is as he finds himself in this cell for all these years. Let's watch this together. Richard Wormbrand is someone who understood that no matter what his circumstance was, for 14 long years he endured it. It didn't change who God is. And God is the same God who loves you, same God who created you, same God who has a great plan for your life, the same God who promises you an eternity in heaven with him through his son. It's the same God, no matter what's happening in this world. And some of us in this place just need to be reminded of that this morning. And even though circumstances in this world change, the promises of God never change. Who God is never changes. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing one final song. And as we do, some of the leaders of our church, we're going to be in the back of the room. And maybe you're here this morning. And this is you. Something happening in your life, there's something happening in this world that just isn't right. You would like us to join in in praying with you and for you. That you would be able to endure it, that you would be able to wait, that you would be able to live by faith through the circumstance. While we sing this final song, come back and we will pray with you. God, we thank you that who you are doesn't change. This world goes up and it's down. Circumstances change every day. But God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for those promises. We thank you for that truth. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? And let's close in this final song of worship. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at our website, www.mounthope.org. Now as you go, May you fall more in love with God so that you might live a life that brings Him glory.